Hi, everyone. Welcome to the MBA Insider Podcast. I am your host, Al D, and the author of MBA Insider. This podcast is for career-driven professionals looking for advice on how to grow their careers by leveraging the skills, experiences, and knowledge gained from an MBA degree. In each episode, I'll give you a look into the business school experience, along with practical tips, career advice, and real-life stories to help professionals grow their careers. Welcome to the MBA Insider Podcast. My name is Al D. I'm the host of the MBA Insider Podcast and the founder of MBAschool.com. And today we're going to talk about networking and building relationships and how it helps fuel and unlock career opportunities. And today I have with me Catherine Rowe. Catherine is a Texas McCombs MBA graduate from the class of 2020 and someone who really used the principles of networking and building relationships really effectively during her time at McCombs, which helped in a variety of different fashions, both at McCombs and beyond. And I'm really excited to have Catherine here today to talk about the topic. So first and foremost, Catherine, uh, thank you so much for joining me today. Before we jump in, I always like to start with a warm-up question and would just love to know just to start off, what are you watching right now on Netflix or Hulu or Disney Plus or whatever? Or what are you reading? How are you staying busy right now? Yeah, for sure. Thanks for having me. So I, I'm not really currently watching anything on Netflix, but I'm very excited for over the next few weeks. The third season of Formula One, Drive to Survive, will be on Netflix. And I started watching it last year during probably the beginning of like towards the beginning of the pandemic. And it is such a good show. And it got me hooked on Formula One, which was a sport that I actually hadn't really watched before. And then I'm currently reading Boomtown, which is about the Oklahoma City Thunder in the history of Oklahoma City nested together. And it's pretty good. And before that, I read Mindset. That's great. Those are great books. And I'm curious what Boontama has to say about Kevin Durant, but maybe you can fill me in afterwards. So maybe just to get started, could you talk to us, tell us a little bit about your background? Yeah, so... I grew up as an army kid. I moved around pretty much every few years across the U.S. and got to spend some time in Korea. Ended up going to college in at a small school in New England called Clark University, um, where I played field hockey and did ROTC. And then at the time joined, like I said, ROTC. So I was in the army after college for six and a half years. My role in the army was essentially being a head of IT for various organizations, some more on like the doing more computer type IT work, and then other times more radio communications, tactical missions and such. And then after that, went to McCombs and currently work at Craft Analytics Group, which is a strategic consulting and technology company based out of Foxborough, Massachusetts in the sports industry. That's great. Thank you for sharing a little bit about your background. So would love to know maybe just a little bit of what really prompted you to go back to school and to get your MBA? Yeah. So I actually, I was in the army. We were on a nine month rotational deployment to Korea in 2017. And one of my good friends and peers was applying to business school. And I said, that sounds like a really good way to get out of the army. So I followed his lead. He helped me along the way, aided me in my studying for the GRE and GMAT. Definitely waited till the last minute though. I think I submitted, or I took the GRE a week before applications were due for round two. So I'm definitely a, a lesson in what not to do. But after that, I would say I started figuring out that there was a lot more out there than what I was currently doing in the army. And I, I didn't really understand that until I was accepted to McCombs. And I started seeing the different opportunities that would come from that. I knew that I had that technical skill when it was of interest to me. 
but I didn't think I really wanted to stay in the IT space. And so I was trying to figure out what was, what would be next. Sure. And did you have a sense going into business school, what you wanted to do or versions of what you wanted to do, or were you just going in knowing that you wanted to make a change, but you weren't quite sure what would be next? Yeah, I knew I wanted to make a change. I grew up as an army kid moving around. You have to make friends on the fly. And so I always had that connection with sports. Wherever I went, I would find my friends on the fields across the world, really. So I knew that sports were of interest to me, but I I didn't really know going into what function made the most sense. Really, more than anything, was just waiting to get to school to, to test a bunch of stuff out. That makes a lot of sense. And I'm curious, just also, again, getting to school, but knowing you have moved around quite a bit. And as you said, you got good at making friends and and building relationships. How did that kind of those relationships come into play maybe during your time at McCombs in terms of helping you navigate what it was that you wanted to eventually end up pursuing or just evaluating opportunities? Yeah, I would say that obviously growing up and moving around wasn't super fun. I think a lot of people end up, you know, living at the same place. And I always was jealous of that. But in hindsight, one thing that it taught me was how to build rapport and create connection with people very quickly. And when you're moving around, you're 12, 13 years old, and you're expected to make friends, you're only going to live in that town for maybe two years and just trying to build rapport very quickly. It's really difficult, but I got really good at it. And I didn't realize at the time that it was probably networking. (laughs) But yeah, so for that, I would say that kind of part that or networking itself would be The biggest thing that I gained from just being exposed to so many different people. And then in the army, I think having the veteran network, knowing that you can easily connect and almost, I think peel a layer off a little bit when you're communicating what you want to do and using that as a tool to find people. At first, I was communicating with the McCombs Veterans Club. And then as time went on, it was like trying to communicate to different veterans across different industries. Yeah, for sure. And I assume that the veteran network then played a critical role in terms of helping you either navigate the MBA application process or even just during your time at McCombs. Is that fair to say? Yeah, absolutely. Like I think first and foremost, the veterans in my class, we had a few that went ended up going to Guatemala before school even started. And that was like a really awesome time because as as you get out of the military, you're you're a little bit worried like service has been such a big part of your life. What's next? And I think just applying service in a different context with McCombs students was great. And it was also awesome to have five vets there out of the 10 people. But then on on top of that, the whole time I was at McCombs, three of my classmates were women vets. And that was awesome because we were all in different cohorts, but we got to spend a ton of time together. And it's nice to have that group of women going through a very similar experience as you, navigating what they want to do in their lives after the military, dealing with being in business school and learning what that culture is about, and just always having a place that you can turn to and have that confidant relationship with. Sure. I think one of the things that's always interesting to me about business school is a dichotomy that you get with, on one hand, when you write that application, you're very much talking about yourself in terms of what you've done, what you hope to do in the future and aspire to be, and then how you see an MBA helping you achieve that. But at the same time, the inherent value in an MBA is very much Uh, the people you meet, the relationships you build, uh, the network that you get. And I always find it so interesting because on one hand, the MBA very much is a very personal journey, uh, but it's also a journey that you don't ever really do by yourself, right? To the point you made. 
very much those other female vets were, it sounds like they were critical to your own experiences, just the many other people. And so I, I always just find it really interesting of this kind of dichotomy of the individualistic and personal journey that you take, uh, but also the fact that you really aren't ever doing it alone. Oh, and I think as I look back in context, like without my classmates, I don't think I would have gotten to this point and pursued something that was so non-traditional just in the context of what everybody else was pursuing. Because I just always had classmates like offering to support different events that we were doing or just always wanting to to talk about it and, oh, who did you meet this week from what team and, and things like that. And I think that's where McCombs, I personally think was just such a great experience for me because people generally care about what you're pursuing and want you to do well. And it was the same for me in helping other people navigate. I was a cohort rep, like the first semester and really, I guess the whole two years, but the first semester is when it like matters the most. And getting to help my classmates navigate those tough final stresses and recruiting stresses and stuff like that. And like I said, like a year before I was deployed. And so context for me was, this is stressful for sure. I want to do well. And I obviously want to recruit into an industry that I want to work in or a job that I want to work in. But in, in kind of context, it wasn't as stressful as my previous year. And so because of that, I think that definitely helped me help them. And then on the flip side, like I said, they definitely helped me. For sure. Okay. One of the things I want to talk to you about, because we've talked about it briefly before, but I'd love for you to share a little bit more about it. So fast forward, you navigate the first year, you have your internship experience and you come back during your second year and do some reflection and analysis and you decide you have a new idea for a direction you want to move in. I would love to know just what did you end up deciding in terms of what you wanted to recruit for during your second year? And just how did that process unfold and come about? Yeah. So during my first year, I um, was looking more at like tech companies and some of the more established sports brands, retail brands, and not, I ended up um, interning at Dell, but my first spring, Kirk Goldsberry started teaching at McCombs in sports analytics and it really opened up my eyes to all the other aspects of the sports industry that I personally knew just because I'm a fan, but I didn't realize like what the job opportunities looked like there. And so that was my first exposure. So I went in and interned um, in tech over the summer and I just realized it wasn't, it was a bigger company. It was just not exactly what I wanted. Had a great experience. Everything was great, but it just didn't work out. And, and I think I got back on the campus and I said, all right, I'm going for it. And I don't know what shifted. I think maybe that summer of working for 12 weeks, realizing that I really want to love what I do every day and just didn't have that feeling when I was going to work. And so I think I just committed you know, full on into it. And that would be the biggest thing that changed is I think my first year, I was scared to make that big jump and say, I'm doing this. But I think that summer was just a great learning experience of you can do this. You have a great support system here and you may as well go for it. I'm glad that you found that confidence to make the leap. What do you think was the biggest thing that previously held you back that you were able to get over to really have the confidence to spring forward in this new direction? I think it was first that year of just, you start like when you're coming from a different industry completely, and I don't think this is only unique to, to military. Like I was a political science major in undergrad. It definitely helped me throughout. And I think that was great, but I didn't really have the business knowledge. And I think after that first year, things started to really click for me. And then also just pairing it with that class in the spring where 
we had these amazing people in sports coming and talking to us about how they're using data and things like that. I started realizing like, all right, so I worked in a technical field in the military, but I had to communicate constantly to a non-technical audience. This is almost the same thing. Just obviously like the subject matter is a little different, but I had that to technical proficiency I had to gain in the military that I was able to just bring into starting to realize, okay, I found my fit, I think. And obviously getting that opportunity to take Kirk's class, but then work for him my second year was really what opened up those doors for me. Certainly. So could you talk a little bit about just what did that second year look like for you in terms of pursuing this newfound kind of path in in sports? I, I know that networking was a big piece of this, but could you share a little bit more about what that looked like for you? Yeah, it was um, smiling because I, I didn't really sleep a lot because I was taking uh, the full load of classes. I was working as a research assistant, and then I was also interning at, at the athletic department. On top of that was obviously trying to do schoolwork and network. So I honestly think I spent not very much time sleeping, not very much time actually hanging out with my friends, probably that most second year. So when you sign your offer and you're done. So I'd see my classmates being done. But I just knew that this was like the right fit and I was going for it. So my schedule was like pretty, pretty wild. But every 30 minutes, if I had a spare 30 minutes, like I was on the I was on the phone with someone in sports. What do you do? What's your strategy? Just asking questions, trying to figure out, okay, where do I fit? What kind of organization do I want to go to? How is this all going to work out? But it was definitely like I would say my whole second year, maybe until March of last year is when things were just like mile a minute, crazy timing. Like I just didn't have the spare moment. Yeah. I can imagine just trying to juggle all those things at once. And in one hand, they're all sounds like things you want to be doing, but at the same time, in any given moment, one is probably more important than the others, or at least you have to make those decisions because there's only so many hours in, in the day. And I guess in those kind of conversations that you had, as you mentioned, if you had whenever you can make the time for them, what you know, I think that at this point, most MBA students know that they have to quote unquote network, but sometimes, you know, what that actually comes down to or what outcomes you're hoping to get to or how you're approaching it sometimes gets a little fuzzy or sometimes is hard for people to grasp or understand. So in those conversations, I'm just curious, what were you trying to get out of them or how did you approach them or what are the things that worked really well or what are the things that didn't work? Would just love to dig in a little bit into your kind of process and the nitty gritty, because I think that can be really helpful for people to understand. Yeah, I definitely started with a very wide net of who who works in sports and how do I connect with them. So for me, being a woman, being a veteran, being an MBA, being at Texas, how can I connect with these four types of people? So that was first and foremost, just trying to meet as many people as I could, build that portfolio of people. I would say what went well was I was able to get people on the phone because I think I have have a pretty good cold email strategy. And then on, on the second part, what I don't think went really well was, I think, especially in an industry like sports, the NBA, it matters to some people, but it doesn't always matter to everybody. And there's this value of people that started from the bottom and work their way up and I never felt like I was going in and saying, I don't want to work up completely from the bottom, but I was waiting for someone to say, oh yeah, you could start at, you know, this level, like you would see in another industry. And I was waiting for people to tell me where I fit instead of taking kind of command of what that looks like. So I think 
that was a confidence thing that some people probably knew, like my closest friends knew that I dealt with some like imposter syndrome, like most people do. But at the same time, like over time, I started getting more and more confident because things professionally started panning out with working for Kirk and getting exposure to different organizations and things like that. Going back to like wide net, eventually I started realizing what I wanted to do. And I was much more strategic in my conversations with people. A lot of people go wrong as well with just asking people like, what do you like about XYZ company? I don't think it matters what industry it is. You could ask, hey, what do you like about working there? How has your MBA experience helped you and stuff like that? But one thing I always tried to do is differentiate myself from anyone else that had a call with that person that day. So I I would compare myself and say, I bet another woman veteran has reached out to this person about working in sports. And so I would take the extra 20 to 30 minutes, whether it's on my phone, (laughs) like while I'm walking to do this call or whatever it is, to figure out what's the strategy at that organization And so on the call, it would be more of like a brainstorm session, like brief intros, and then talking through, hey, how did you come up with this like ticket sales campaign? That seems really cool. Or kind of some of the outcomes or or whatever it was. And I think it probably took them aback at first, but they like enjoy just having like more of a professional conversation than just what do you like about, you know, your job in this company or this organization? I I love that. And I think that's a really great approach, I think, for a couple of reasons. Number one, I think it just makes for, simply put, a more interesting conversation. Number two, I think you actually learn a lot more and can get a lot more insight into actually what they're thinking about or whatever it is that they're working on. And I absolutely do think that it differentiates you and makes you more memorable, particularly as someone who is on the other side of a lot of these informational interviews. I can definitely say that approach, I think, would definitely make me really interested and engaged. But I think the other thing that probably, or I would assume it did for you too, as well, is that it helped you get to a point where you could be much more thoughtful about where you quote unquote fit because you just had much better insights, right, into actually understanding what it is that person was doing and if that was something you were interested in or not. Yeah, absolutely. I think over time I realized there's a huge, and and I think this is the case in also any industry, there's a huge gap between people that don't necessarily deal with data every day or the way they deal with data isn't direct, like they're maybe submitting a Salesforce report that they had a call with somebody here something like that, but they don't necessarily understand like the the back end of where that data goes and what kind of insights can come from it. And the people that actually worked with the data and that it really comes down to a communication issue. And going back to what I was saying about my time in the military, it was the same thing. I would come in and they'd be like, oh, good luck. Like (laughs) we, my job in the army used to get people that are military probably laugh at this, like we used to get yelled at all the time because it's like any other IT department when things are working, no one cares and you're doing your job or whatever, but no one like is giving you a high five for it. And when things aren't working, you're for sure the first person in the office getting asked why things aren't working. And so what I tried to do in that job and what I've applied to now and moving forward is just the fact that um, using those communication skills that I was able to gain early on to take these non-technical or take these technical things and break it down into something like, all right, so what do you need to sell more tickets or whatever it is and get to the the root of the issue? And I think that's where a lot of people go wrong. Yeah. Yeah. I, that makes a ton of sense. One other thing I wanted to ask you about is I've been thinking about this a lot myself. When 
to the point you made about waiting for someone to tell you where you quote unquote fit, wondering if that is a feature and not a bug in the sense that is the process about figuring that out for yourself versus asking someone to tell you're an ops person, you're a marketing person, you're a brand manager, you're a consultant. Is maybe that just part of the discovery and self-discovery process? That That's the way it's supposed to work? I think one thing I've found is you come out of the military is a lot of people want to brand us in one bucket of people. Mm-hmm. Sure. And what's interesting about the military is that it actually, like when you break things down, we have HR people, we have logistics mm-hmm. people, sure. we have yeah. IT people. And I think it's on our end, it's our job to go 98 to 99% of the way to explain our roles in a way that can be constructive to anyone reading our resume or interviewing us to be able to understand like, how does that role fit in my organization? Mm-hmm. And I think like now looking back, I'm like, oh, I think I've always communicated it really well, but there are probably plenty of times that I was like, we had just a huge, not that it was obvious in the call or anything, but there was probably a miscommunication about what I actually did in the military. Like for instance, I said, oh, I worked in like IT communications and in the civilian world that can be PR. So I think there was a lot of that. And, but I do think you're right in the fact that especially when you're trying to figure things out, it's like the more conversations you have, the better, because you can start crossing things off your list. So I think I went to a product manager thing at general assembly in Austin or something. And I was like, all right, I don't think, I don't think this is exactly the right fit for me. I appreciate the role, but I don't think this is exactly what I want to do. And as I got more and more into strategy and like the idea of analytics and planning and stuff like that, that's when I realized, okay, this is something I'm really interested in. And like I get nerd, I nerd out about research and seeing what other organizations are doing and how can we nest with that and things like that. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. That, no, I think, I think that makes a lot of sense. And I'm curious, how did these networking conversations and building these relationships, how did those inputs or what you learned from that maybe align with or feed or play off of all the other activities that you were involved in inside and outside of the classroom with respect to sports? Yeah, I think the biggest thing was I was asking, I remember my first semester, second year, I like asked one of our professors if I could do a project on a sports team instead of a company. It was like bankruptcy and turnaround. So that's a good example of how I was using like the classroom in a way that, okay, I can go, I can go find this team's bankruptcy paperwork online and do an an analysis of how to turn them around, just like my classmates were doing for the WeWorks or other companies of the world. And I think that was one way I tried to take what I was learning and make it everything that I was doing in school. I think there's some schools that really allow you to use experiential learning in the classroom and a lot of professors that are willing to do that. You just have to ask the question. And that's what I tried to do there. I'd say the second kind of part was I ended up studying abroad in Melbourne a little over a year ago, which is crazy to think about. But when I was there, I tried to soak up as much of the Australian culture around sport as it's a very big, very big sport culture and learn all the just like the ins and outs of how do they how do Australians watch sports? How are they fans and why? How is it different? And ended up like writing my own work about it, about marketing to Australian sports fans. Why is it different and what would I do? And using those pieces as kind of portfolio items as I started recruiting. That's great. I love that. And I love that 
what I love most about it is two couple things. Number one, you took ownership of it, right? And to your point, I do think, you know, generally speaking, professors are interested and willing to entertain ideas like that. It's just, I think you do have to take ownership of it. But number two, being, I, I think the magic really happens when you can connect the things you're exploring career-wise with the things you're doing in the classroom and, and being able to turn those into real world experiences. And it certainly also feeds another thing that which you mentioned, which was that portfolio, which I presume that that portfolio of work was probably at least somewhat helpful as you went into interviews or just even converse networking conversations that you had, being able to talk about things that you were doing or things that you were interested in or things that you were studying. I'm assuming those types of things were good conversation starters, whether that was an informational interview or a real one. Is that fair to say? Yeah, for sure. And I would say 75% of what my portfolio was by the end of, end of the year or end of the second year was all school projects um, that I had converted into sports analytics projects. And so I would use those in conversations. I tried to make myself as well-rounded as possible. So I had some like more business analytics type problems like attendance and then other ones analyzing like a hockey team's performance and was able to bring that into my conversations. I don't know if I think some people read them for sure, but I think what it showed was that not only I always felt, and maybe this was just me feeling this way, but I felt like I had an uphill climb because not only was I trying to break into an industry that was really tough to break into, I was trying to do it as a veteran, which I think in some industries, it's just easier to get hired as a veteran. Whereas other ones, you really have to make that case. And as I like tell veterans now, who are pursuing sports, it's like, I I told them and I showed them. I brought my mm -hmm. portfolio to every call. I sent it ahead. And whether they read it or not, it showed that I'm doing the work and that I'm capable of using these skills to make strategic recommendations to teams or organizations. And because of that, I think that's what really showed people that I had the skill set to, to make it happen. Yeah. Yeah. And in terms of making it happen and getting again, nitty gritty for a second, in terms of those conversations, I'm curious, could you give me a sense of how many conversations do you think you had or how many out, how much outreach do you think you did? If you were to, if you were to guess, or, or were you one of those people who did keep track of all of that? Yeah. So I would say loosely, like I kept track of the majority of my conversations with at least of value. So if it was like a phone call. And so I, I believe it was like 202 people over 18 wow. months. Yeah. Um, so when you start doing the math of 20 to 30 minutes prep, 30 minute phone call, and I didn't, I know there's some people that you track, like last time they connected with somebody or whatever. I think once you get off the phone, you're going to know if, if that person's someone you can follow up with. If you felt like on the call, you really had a good connection and you're going to know that those people are the ones that you want to stay in touch with moving forward. That being said, when I ended up getting a job, I wrote think, like personal thank you notes to every single person, even if I hadn't talked to them in 16 months, just because, like I said, every conversation taught me something. Whether it was this role is not fit for me or this company is like not what I wanted, not what I want to work for, something like that. And then I'll isolate the 200 conversations were just in sports. I actually didn't keep track of the other industries. I would say add on probably another like 40 or 50 starting out my MBA. But yeah, 200 was about the number I had by the time I got the job. I'm curious, what were some of the responses when you wrote thank you notes after you got your job? What did people say? A lot just so happy to hear you landed a great spot and um, so good to hear from you and things like that. And some people were probably like, I don't even remember talking to this person because 
I think in, in sports and in some of the more desired industries, people end up talking to three to four people a week. So they may not have remembered me, but I felt like if I got a random thank you from someone I talked to you like a year and a half ago, I'd appreciate it. But that's going back to thank you notes, I think is one thing I missed earlier. As I've, you probably feel the same, like as I'm on kind of the other side, sometimes of informationals, I've been really surprised by how many people don't send thank you notes. And that was something I always did, sometimes handwritten and how much it like reminds that person of how good of a conversation it was when you get a thank you note. So I, I always recommend like always writing a thing, even if you felt like that conversation wasn't as of like extreme value for you and you only learned two things first five or 10, I do think writing thank you notes is always a good idea. Uh, I couldn't agree more. It very is a very minimal uh, amount of time and investment. And I think it's outside of it, I think just being like a very, the right thing to do. I do think it can you know, potentially pay dividends. And I know I've, having been on the other side of them, I do appreciate when people do that. Um, a real quick story I had. So when I was applying to internships, when I was in, in business school, I I wanted to intern at LinkedIn and you know, I was didn't know anyone there. And so I did a cold reach out to a secondary connection. We were able to connect and chat. And long story short, I didn't end up getting the offer, but I followed up with him afterwards and just said, thanks for all your help. I made it to the final rounds, but didn't get it. Appreciate everything you shared with me. I would love to stay in touch. And he actually wrote me back and said, very something similar to what you and I are just talking about, that most of the time people don't ever follow up uh, either way and just how appreciative he was that I had followed up and that if I ever wanted a referral anywhere else, he'd be more than happy to do it. And so ever since then, I've always tried to make sure that I send thank you notes because I think people do appreciate it and you never know, you never know when you, you might need that connection. Yeah, for sure. No, I think it's, uh, I don't know if it's a lost art because it's now just like sure. sending an email, but yeah. And I always tried to add like a little personal twist. Like I really enjoyed when you talked about this and this, or I took some time to look up what you were talking about. And this was really great. It's also a great opportunity because I always ask at the end of every call, is there anyone else that you think I should chat with? Or, Hey, you mentioned this person, would you be able to make an intro or, or whatever that is? And I think the thank you note is also a good opportunity to follow up and, and ask. Oh, I know you mentioned connecting me with this person, would you like to make that introduction or do you have their email for me or something like that? So always also that slight subtle nudge um, to say, Hey, like you did tell me you're going to introduce me to somebody. Yep. Absolutely. So we talked a little bit about this earlier, but you clearly have, as we talked about, you since you moved around a lot, you've been, you've gotten good at figuring out how to meet new people and, and build new relationships just from that experience. I'm curious what your experience in business school at McCombs and through the career process, what, what, how, how do you now think about networking or relationship building? What did that experience and going through that uh, in business school and using it to help land to where you are in your career now, what did that experience with networking or relationship building, what did that teach you or how has it evolved your thinking about networking or building relationships in general? Yeah, for sure. I think first and foremost, like I said, I went to a smaller school in New England for undergrad. <clears throat> and so Clark's a great program. There's a lot of awesome alumni. But for me, as I was trying to figure out what I wanted to do, obviously, Texas, I think it's I don't want to I don't want to say it wrong, but I think it's like 400,000 living alumni. So first and foremost, it gave me just this whole network to start reaching out to people. And that's really the biggest thing I think putting one thing about being a cohort rep was 
it taught me, I've obviously led soldiers in the army, but I hadn't led, I, and I was a, like, I was a captain in sports in college. So like I had led like my peers and things like that. But what being a cohort rep taught me was what's leadership like in a civilian space outside the military and what are some things I can learn about it to further my leadership skills and actually just apply what I know about leading soldiers to the civilian world? Because it is very different. There's definitely things that you can pull, but it's not the same. You just don't have kind of some of the regulations that the military has or rank structure. And so being a cohort rep definitely allowed me to do that. And then ultimately McCombs gave me two years of being in a sandbox and getting to try a bunch of new things, travel to a bunch of cool places, study abroad in in Melbourne, like I mentioned, in Copenhagen. I got to do a trip to South Africa. And so as someone who loves traveling, loves meeting new people, getting to see sport in different countries and understanding what are the things that people care about in those countries and, and involved in their sport, I think helps me now just in my Yeah. So I think studying abroad in different places, like I mentioned, Melbourne, and then got to go to Copenhagen Business School for a week period of time. And then I did a study abroad or not a study abroad, but a global connections trip in South Africa with entrepreneurs, which was really cool. But what that all taught me was how to think globally beyond like my time in the military. I got to work with several different militaries across different places from Afghanistan to Korea to even the US when like the British army would come over for training. But once again, like getting that experience in business school to take what I learned as a, in the military and growing up as a military kid and applying it to the business world and the global context of, you know, how businesses work and sports and how sports connects people. Like this is something I've always known. I think there's just so many connection pieces that I took from those experiences. And I think the last part about McCombs that I I love McCombs, I could talk about it (laughs) forever, but being in Austin where There's this growing city. So you're watching the city grow very quickly. All these startups and innovation opportunities that are coming left and right into the program really allow you to try out so many different things. So I think I probably mentioned five or six things rambled on there, but McCombs offered me that two years to just take a break first after a long time in the military and apply what I knew to what I wanted to do in the civilian world. That's great. Catherine Rowe, thank you so much for joining me today, for sharing your journey to business school after the Army, for talking a little bit about how you made and found your career journey at McCombs and talking about the importance that networking and relationship building played in helping you achieve your career goals. Thanks so much for joining. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you so much for having me. Hi, everyone. LD here. And thank you so much for listening to the MBA Insider Podcast. If you liked what you heard, make sure to head over to Apple Podcasts and to write a review. It will only take 15 seconds. I'd also love to hear what you've been listening to on the podcast and any suggestions you have for how we can improve. Find me on LinkedIn or head over to mbaschooled.com backslash podcast.